welcome to Scene Banished. Ooh. I was just, mm-hmm. Well, welcome on in. Just come on, come on in and grab a, grab a couch. Grab a, grab a, grab, grab a cushion and saddle on up to the show. Yep. That's a warm, <laughs> southern, cozy welcome you've just given us. It's like a, a glass full of white gravy and biscuits right off the fire. Why are we eating it in a glass? <laughs> well, I would you you said it was a cozy. I, you said cozy, and I immediately thought <laughs> this is ridiculous. Like this is has, this can't be the beginning. I just immediately thought about hot chocolate, and I was like, oh, cozy, a drink. People want a drink, a drink of southernness, southernness, biscuits and gravy, glass. That's that's where I that's where I went. That was hey, a long walk. How are you today? <laughs> I am we need here, to do a little, like a little check in. <laughs> you're you're doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing good. It's the holidays. It is. Happy holidays. It's that nice lull between, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas now. So I can tell we're you just coasting. It is a very strange thing to be a teacher at this time. Mm. Because your kids show up and they know that in three weeks they're leaving again. And so it's like, are they wild and rambunctious? It's mostly like nothing matters. It's, I feel that <laughs> it's just kind of like, look, and maybe I'm on the same level, but you know, I can't be that way as an educator. So, so those like, three weeks are encompassing 2020 as a whole. Basically, yeah, they're nothing like, matters. look, look, this doesn't really matter. I'm out of here in three weeks, and I'll, I'll worry about it when we come back in January. That's basically what all <laughs> all these kids. Want. It doesn't matter. We'll wrap up the semester. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, hey, so uh, do you know what we're going to talk about today? Absolutely not. You actually absolutely don't. So today is kind of an interesting podcast. Um, I was uh, I was thinking in the car actually the other day about some things that I used to know. <laughs> and, I was, and I don't know I if that's know an trigonometry, but uh. I well, no, never, never. That was never my thing. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if you do the same thing. Where like you, you think about things that you learned in school, and I think I think about it more now. Of just like, man, I used to know a whole lot about this one particular subject, and now I know a little bit, but it seems like it's just all gone somehow. Well, I will say this in that. M- here, here in the last like two or three years, I have like evolved away from sort of like I'm upset that I no longer remember these things yeah. and that where I've gone to now or where I've like uh, who I've become now is more interested in these other things. Mm-hmm. So I kind of let go of, oh, well, I, I just don't know about all those things anymore. Right. I mean, I don't mind so much that. I I do sometimes reacquaint myself. Yeah, I think not knowing everything used to really bother me. Like I always wanted to know every yes. single thing and never admitted whenever I was wrong or didn't know. Oh, one hundred percent. It's a trigger for me for someone yeah. to be like, "Oh, you're stupid." Nope, <laughs> no, I'm not. Give me I a second. I pretty much just jumped to the other side of just being like, "You're probably right. I mm-hmm. agree with you. I will. We'll move on, and I'll. I'll hopefully adapt and and learn." And then you go home and you fact check, and you're like, "I was right. I know I was right." Yeah, I, some some of the time, most of the time. Um I've heard you actively tell <laughs> But I am I am the number one doubter of everything that I think I know. I'm just like, I know this for a fact. Someone else is like, "Oh, maybe you don't." And I'm like, "Oh my goodness, maybe I don't." But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that we all should be this way. Yes. I think we should all be like, "Yeah, you know what? I do think that I know this for a fact." 
but I'm going to go back and just let, let me just look at it. Yeah. And make sure that I'm right before I just, you know, drive through this brick wall. Full let me, speed. Let me let me assert myself as an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just most of the time, I do that in the way of being like, you're right, I'm an idiot. And then I go home, I'm like, oh, wait, no, I was right. Um, well, today, I, I was thinking about just some theater influencers. It's like the like the, the innovators and the influences of theater. And, and I was thinking about, um, about Bertolt Brecht and Samuel Beckett and... Um, I think I'm sorry. I think I backed away from the mic whenever I said that about Bertolt Brecht and Samuel Beckett. And um, and then I started thinking about this theater conference that I went to where they were talking about the living theater, mm-hmm. which you had never heard of. No, not until I walked in today. And we had kind of touched a little bit of it, I think, in my my theater uh, Can I, history. I just have to stop before... Why are there so many freaking popsicle sticks all over the table what here? What are you talking about? There are two. Did you have those today or is yes. that over time? There are two. <laughs> okay. I had two before you got here. I didn't How mean to derail you? you, but I was just like, I have to ask How before dare you? we get too deep into this. Anyway, sorry. <sighs> should have known better. should have thrown them away before you got in here. I had two. And actually, <laughs> just so people know, they were not like fattening popsicles. They were made from oat milk. Okay. That's a fact. That sounds worse. It <laughs> They were good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, you went to this conference. Oh, you're the worst. Yeah, so I got to this uh, theater conference, and they were talking about the living theater, and they actually had um, one of the founders of the theater there. And she's a interesting. she was an interesting lady. And I remember seeing her and just thinking, like, man, this woman has been through some stuff. I mean, just, like, <laughs> the way she got, she was, like, carried onto the stage it was like watching if if cleopatra had ever aged like to a to a ripe old age that's that's what i imagine this woman was she was brought on stage by three she was escorted by three very good looking young men like very fit wearing very tight clothes onto the stage and like all the way to the microphone where she was gonna sit and have this interview for for this conference I was like, what? And we, we were all like, what? Who is this? Like, what is happening? Goals. <laughs> this is very, very strange. This is very, very strange. But she was an interesting lady. She um so the the Living Theater is is this theater that was created by Julian Beck and uh Ju- and um oh my goodness, no, that is not her name. Oh wow. Wait, her name's not also Julian. What is her name? I'm so sorry. It's Julian Beck and then Mulaney, but what is her actual oh, name? John Judith. Judith. Lord. Judith Mulaney. Lord. Or I'm actually, actually, it's, oh, this is so terrible. I'm You're like a horse so loose in a hospital. I'm a horse loose in a hospital. Um, <laughs> it's Judith Molina. I said Mulaney because I was thinking of horse loose in a hospital. Yeah, um, yeah Judith Molina. Um, anyway, so Judith Molina was this woman that was escorted onto the stage by who we could only guess at the time were some kind of Grecian demigods. Um, but her and and Julian Beck, they like got together and they created this theater in New York in 19. Uh, oh, my goodness. I think 40. Yeah. 1947. So they they created this theater in 1947 and it was all based on. Um, this French 
theater artist and his writings. And I think that guy's name was Armand. Uh, oh, come oh, on. You Artaud. are in Duolingo. I know. Oh, my goodness. And you were like touting about how good your French was here recently. <laughs> oh, this, is a, this is a living, a living example. Ant- Antonin? Oh, my God. Ant- Antonin. That's how you would say that? A-N-T-O-N-I-N. I have no clue. <laughs> oh. Anton? Antoni? Artois? Artois. Art- no. No. No, that's... No, we should just let it go. Yeah. Antonin. Antony. Antony. We're going to call this guy Antony. Anthony. Tony. Yeah, Tony. So, Tony, the, uh, the, the, the French dude, he, like, <laughs> comes up with this theater of cruelty. And it was like his coined phrase was this theater of cruelty. And they latched on to this guy's writings about the theater of cruelty. And essentially his version of cruelty, <laughs> cruel, this is just the worst. I, how do you sound intelligent when you can't say the word cruelty? This is ridiculous. We, we should just like throw it in the trash. We should just throw this whole thing in the trash and have our glass of biscuits and gravy and go to bed. Um, but so, so. Tony, French Tony's um, definition of the theater of cruelty was more like of Nietzsche's cruelty, which was more like cruelty is just existence, is just life. Yeah. And so their version of that was how do we make that cruelty of living and the insanity of it on the stage? Mm. And so they, they like they put on productions that were very difficult for people to get through and they were they were kind of a hot button couple. I mean they they he was Julian Beck was a, a bisexual painter, surrealist painter, and um they created this theater in nineteen sixty eight, was whenever they kind of got super popular and um ran into all these tax problems. And there's actually this story. Hold on, just one, I like I want to make sure that I get this story right because I wrote it down because I thought this was so ridiculous <laughs> and I thought you would think it was so funny. Um, so ooh, let me make sure that I'm gonna get this right. Oh, I, I should say that the Living Theater is still in existence today, but really? it's ran by yeah. It is. It's actually. Um, uh, so Melina died. Judith Melina died in 2015. And so her responsibilities were taken over by her son, Garrick Maxwell Beck. I appreciate how slow you had to pronounce that to get through all of the syllables. wanted you to know. I didn't (laughs) want to say it wrong. So, um, oh, man, I was just like this story of them. It was just so funny. uh, Yeah. So um, they put on this production of, of this play called The Brig in 1963. And it was an anti-authoritarian look at condi- and conditions in a marine prison. So um, they were doing this one like very specific, very specific thing, and um, it was their their last major production in New York before this big tax dispute that happened, and it led to the closure of the theater in their first th- this theater space, not the closure of the actual theater, but this theater space, and. It was. It also led to a brief imprisonment of the of, of Julian Beck, which is just very interesting to me. But um, so he goes to prison. But um, 
I assume that was for tax evasion. Yeah, essentially, like okay. they weren't they weren't giving money to the government. <laughs> they were like, "Hey, we're gonna do this thing." So Buy Wesley tickets. Snipes, thank did. you for the tickets. Right. All this money is mine. I'm never gonna file taxes. Um, so when <laughs> when this was happening, Judith. The, the woman that I was talking about that showed up at this conference with the three like Grecian demigods that led her onto the stage, she showed up to defend her husband in court <laughs> at this IRS hearing dressed as Portia from the Merchant of Venice. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I mean, that tracks. Which I just like, what in the world? Like, who who does that? Like what? Who? Something. <laughs> it's it's like it's even hard for me to even try to talk about. Like, can you imagine? Like, I just think for us, like we have a theater company. My wife and I have a theater company. I'm it, on on trial for something that I've done with like tax evasion, and she shows up dressed as a character. Let's stop right there. This would be absolutely reversed. It would be. Totally she would reversed. be on trial. You would walk. I would in. be the one dressed as Portia. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. But even that, I still don't know. I like, how do you do that? Like, this is so insane and theatrical. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever done anything that theatrical in my entire life. I've seen you walk around town as Caesar. That's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I've never done that. That's an absolute falsity. <laughs> but I just think that that's so so insane. Um, but anyway, so. They they did uh they did a lot of a lot of shows. They're probably their most well known show was um, Paradise Now, mm. which, if I'm remembering correctly, is kind of this track of the history of the world as they knew it. It started off with Adam and Eve and like the creation of man, and then went through and they did the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, and they would I I remember seeing some clips of it when they would get to Kennedy and they would do the assassination over and over and over and over and over again. And they would add weird little pieces to it each time. And it was it that it was just very interesting. That's the only thing that I really remember from the performance, other than the <laughs> fact that this thing in went the, on for two hours it, and you remember the last five minutes. <laughs> it was so long. I just, you know, I, I think that it definitely has a place. It's just like, oh, I mean, yeah. getting through it. It's also, you know, when people put that much heaviness and philosophy, I guess, onto something, it's just hard to think, okay, I'm going to be this engaged with this ideal, like this very idealistic-based performance piece for... A, as long as two and a half hours. I mean, that's just, it's a lot, especially with the amount of drumming they did. I mean, it was the 60s. Yeah. They did so much drumming, and it was so loud. So loud. <laughs> like, when you watch, I mean, before we did this podcast, I had you watch these two yeah. two pieces. And so, I like, watching just a little bit of their performance, what, what did you take from that? Of, it of, was. Because so it was from the Living Theater's production of paradise now and it was like in their theater space which was actually in a basement i yes. didn't tell you that but it was actually in a basement and it was and it was actually if i'm correct it was in that late 60s early 70s 1968 okay so that was when they were i guess maybe 
first starting out, if that correct? Well, it was towards the end. They actually started in 1947. Okay. But they it was towards towards the end of it, like Paradise Now was their last production in the US and then they went and they basically it was almost like they were they were like, "All right, America was like we don't do this anymore. Yeah. Like we don't want this anymore." So they they went and they just toured in Europe for basically the rest of their careers until around like 2007, I think. And then they came back to America. Yeah. So I have actually two thoughts um, uh, about it. And, and anyone that like cares to look it up, I think would maybe in this day and age agree with you definitely me. have to be over the age of 18. Yes. To yeah, watch 100%. This. But it was while watching it, I understand maybe what they were talk what they were trying to convey in that a lot of it is an attack on the senses in that there were there were these moments where like they were loud and they were chaotic and it was almost like what what existence is it's, it's this loud chaos and and nothing kind of makes sense at yeah, any given time so much happening in the room and yeah. it's also not just happening in one location cuz they yeah, did there have were things happening on the left and the right and like the middle. Like a stage, but they didn't have necessarily a defined performance space. Yes, they, they were in the audience and were things in that very too. like Brechtian style of, um, or uh, like the epic theater. Yeah, which is, uh, which was like a, a theater. Which actually, like, I know that this is. I'm like totally interrupting you, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just, I feel like I want to have some context as far as like what they are doing. Yeah. Um, and so epic theater, and I, I. We are studied this in school, but I kind of forgot that that like I always thought of epic theater as a Brechtian style theater. Um, and but it, it actually was coined before Brecht, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so epic theater actually comes from Erwin Pescator, okay, and it's probably Pescator, but oh my goodness. Ty, please, you... please send me a message and let me know exactly what I'm mispronouncing. Because you know, I like I might love all this stuff, but I am terrible at pronouncing these people's name. But he was actually um, was it one of uh, he was a director in Berlin, which kind of makes which kind of tracks that it eventually morphed into what Bertolt Brecht mm-hmm. um, did with it. But Brecht took these concepts that he came up with and evolved it into what we know as this like Brechtian style. He like unified all these different concepts into epic theater. And epic theater was the kind of the first time where they started producing theater where they wanted people to know that they were in the theater. They yeah. didn't want people to be transformed to a different place. Like when we go to see a show and they're like, oh, we wanted them to feel like they were actually in the South, you know, yeah. that they were actually in Makem. You yeah. know, we that we wanted them to 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 feel like they're in a theater. We don't want them to forget. So like these shows, they would send people down the aisles and they would actually yell at the audience and say, you're in a theater, you're in a theater, you're in a theater every once in a while to remind people that, oh no, we're not transporting you. We're telling you a story. Yeah. It was almost like they, they concentrated on the fact they wanted people to know these are actors. We're telling you a story. This isn't reality. Yeah. And they would, it was the first time that they had exposed lighting. The sets became minimalistic um, it was more geared towards the um, the uh, uh, verisimilitude. Um, what am I saying? Uh, 
oh my gosh, fierce similitude is the twenty four hour thing. What is uh, <laughs> willing suspension of disbelief? Yeah, what, yeah, why yeah. the world did my brain go to fierce similitude? <laughs> I mean, it is it, that does track, but fierce similitude, which is that things could only happen in a twenty four hour period, but yeah. that came from Aristotle. I don't know where in the world my brain insanity. This is what comes from teaching. I just want you to know that. I hope that you spoke to your first graders with that word. <laughs> and they all looked at you like, what? What What are you talking what? about? Um, well, really, any of the graders. Yeah, that that's fair. But, uh, but yeah, so they they really wanted people to, to use their willing suspension of disbelief to, you know, embody that acting block with whatever it was, you know, yeah. happening. Um, and that kind of evolved from there into... Uh, like people like Samuel Beckett really taking that and running with it and 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 just evolving to more what we we know is more acceptable today. And so it's kind of like a combination of that of being it's obvious that you're in a theater. Pretty much anywhere you go now has exposed lighting. Yes. Sets are not absolutely complete. There's some semblance of all of those things, but um they definitely take that to an extreme. And what you're kind of getting into or about to get into with your conversation is more about how they are challenging these social taboos, which goes into the theater of cruelty that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. That was a big thing of, of that study was you have to challenge these social norms that don't make any sense, Yeah, which is why in the living theater, they're most famous for ripping all of their clothes off and screaming at people. Okay. <laughs> Which is kind of what you were saying. <laughs> yeah. So, and continue. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 in watching that and, and seeing it, it, it was this attack on the senses, and you're like, you're 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 showing the chaos of of life and existence, and I and I completely understand what they were trying to say. And then there were these moments, which were interesting, kind of like what you were talking about with the Kennedy thing, in that it was punctuated, it it was quiet, and then there would be this. This moment, this thing of like understand that this is almost where all of history came together and and had this thing. And and I would almost say what we're experiencing worldwide right now and having this pandemic be to all the continents, the mm -hmm. whole world is stopping and listening, kind of like maybe a world war or maybe uh, I'm sure, you know, during that time, the Vietnam War. Yeah, that was a huge thing for them. Yeah. So you you and it and it was interesting to see like the moments of quiet and punctuation and when they would be chaotic and then they would all come together and, and you know like the Kennedy thing that was repeated with all these different things mm -hmm. where it's like this is the biggest moment that we have in this American history this quote unquote paradise now, right? Yeah. And it and it and it's just so interesting to see and to, to see that somebody would take theater and like kind of make it this way and and understanding that there are, as someone who loves film, there are filmmakers today who kind of use that same chaos. I would say Michael Bay is someone who uses that sort of chaos to tell mm -hmm. his stories in that, you know, you have these quick cuts and these big explosions and all of the, it's like an attack on the senses and right. then they'll stop for these camera frames to, to highlight these sort of character moments and what they're trying to tell with the story. Mm. And I will say, as my second uh, sort of uh, bullet point to that, I'm really glad that we have 
not necessarily evolved with that way of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, if I have to say that if that was my first introduction to theater, yeah, I wouldn't have done. I'd have now, been like, no, I'm not, I'm not about this. I, I completely agree with the immersiveness of it. Yeah, you I want to think like that tell there the are story defin- definite in- values of it. I think that you have to be in a particular place in your life to see that, observe it, take it for what it's worth, and then move on. Yes. I do wonder what it was like to be these people in the midst of this massive... I mean, I don't know if we could say massive movement, but to them it was a massive movement. Yes. <laughs> I mean... um, where today, I mean, really, you talk to most theater artists, I feel like the living theater would be pretty much forgotten. Yes. Um, or not talked about. I mean, it's uh, it's probably like one of those small little blips, but it was a lot. I mean, they yeah. did do a lot. Um, Al Pacino, actually, I cannot believe this just popped out of my head. Al Pacino has a story of him going to see the living theater in New York when they did Paradise Now. And he went on a date with someone, and it was a oh. first. It was a first date. Oh no! Yeah, um, and he'd be better off asking. He about was their talking politics. about that. I really wish I could do a good Al Pacino impersonation, and I'm not even going to attempt it because at this moment I can't even think of what he sounds like. <laughs> but he goes, oh he goes to the theater. He tells the story. He goes to the theater on this first date, and it starts off, and he's like, "He was pretty calm. I'm sitting there with this woman, and." You know, things are good and everything's great. And then, you know, people start kind of talking and running up the aisles and it's a little weird and she's getting a little antsy and I'm kind of like, well, this is interesting. And then, you know, people start screaming at us um, in the aisle and climbing on top of one another and forming these human towers and ripping their clothes off and screaming and doing all these inappropriate things and... She looked at me and said, we have to leave. And he went, why would we leave? This is so interesting. And she got up and left him there all by himself. And he stayed. <laughs> he was just like, no, nah, I'm good. This is way, this is something weird's going on here. I got to watch this. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool. It's interesting to hear that because it's almost as if you have what the general public would see like a painting, like if someone had done this like crazy, amazing abstract art well, I mean, painting. It, it, it comes from, I mean, Julian yeah. Beck was a surrealist painter, and so was the um, the Tony French Tony. Yeah, was a surrealist painter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you you're almost seeing what an artist would walk up to this like abstract thing that you know the general the general public would be like, okay, I can make shapes, and then you have you know the artist walking up you know, crying because this would be so beautiful to them. Mm-hmm. And to to someone who studies art and can understand it, they would be like, well, I, you know, like Al Pacino, I have to see how this like ends. Something interesting go? is going on. Yes. And I'm I'm interested. I want to know what's happening. Um, it, it is kind of interesting that they then had to go to Europe to find a little bit more acceptance in what they were doing. Well, I will say this. Um, but the, the, the avant-garde movement there was a little bit more. It was already kind of prevalent, yes. especially in like Berlin. It was already kind of a thing that was going on, so it was probably easier for them to accept. So I have to imagine, and this is just speculation. I don't really know for a fact, but I have to imagine that the emergence of blockbuster filmmaking actually 
uh, is the thing that made them have to move. Because, yeah, I, I don't like, know you know, if it was necessarily you had the emergence of, of of Steven Spielberg and yeah. and um, uh, oh, who's it? George Lucas, like mm-hmm. emerging to tell. And, and in, in even um, I would say maybe Kubrick was more of a kind of a this old stand. Yeah, I, I would say <laughs> I just <laughs> you just totally said, yeah, you did were really paid attention. I just imagine someone going up to Stanley Kubrick and being like, what's up, Stan? What How up, you, Stan? You, what kind of movie are you making today, Stan? Stan Kubrick. But but even his directing style is similar to this. But I, I would have to say like the blockbuster or what we now know as blockbuster. Yeah. Had to be the thing that would almost do away with this and that we needed this cohesive uh, through line for storytelling, yeah, and that the general public would no longer accept uh, this these kind of like artsy pieces mm-hmm. versus. I think that they were more running from the government. <laughs> okay, well that no, 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 that that definitely but, tracks for but, that time yes. period. Yes, I mean I do I do think that 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 is a very that would be very interesting to kind of research maybe look up and see what what the correlation between that is that is kind of cool because ultimately you have to think like the reason they would stop doing this is because people would maybe stop showing up but you know you watch that video and that's one thing that i think you took away from it and of of course we notice it a little bit more now just because our mind is so trained to being like there's way too many people in that room yes Um, (laughs) and especially like there are way too many naked people yes and screaming and it's like there's just stuff everywhere. I want to like, say, everybody to be fair, there it is it is an tested. old film and it is grainy. You can't see anything, <laughs> but understand that they that Cody even said like, do you think they made their own costumes or if the costume <laughs> designer used like a single curtain to make all of these pieces? We're like we don't have enough fabric. What are the what's the budget? It's we like have loin a cloths. towel. We yes. have one towel for forty five people. What do we do? I don't know. Threads. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it is very, it is very minimal costuming, but that was just kind of that whole thing of challenging the social construct mm-hmm. of we need clothes, which is why in the very beginning of the piece, the women start off by saying, I, um, I must wear clothes. I have to wear clothes. And they just repeat that over and over again. And then they get like bigger and bigger and angry and angrier. And that's when all of the people start ripping their clothes off. Yeah. To like show like why why do we have to wear clothes? Which in a sense is kind of like I mean, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like why this is a thing, but who knows. Um it is it is uh I cannot believe that Al Pacino story popped into my mind. That was just so wild. Um I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to read this uh, this to you and see if this made any sense to you. So, okay. and like researching it, I came across this like. This I love thing. these on the fly reactions that you're trying to give me these days. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm sorry. Well, it, it's also like probably the strange educator in me that I'm like, oh, you don't know this. I want to know what you feel about it. <laughs> um. So this this is what it says. So the living theater from its conception was dedicated to transforming the organization of power within society from a competitive hierarchical structure to cooperative and communal expression. The troupe attempts to do so by counteracting complacency in the audience through direct spectacle. They oppose the commercial orientation of Broadway productions and have contributed to the off-Broadway theater movement in New York City. Okay. 
couple of thoughts. <laughs> I will say that I don't necessarily disagree with the movement against like Broadway. And I think, I think that, they were just like, how many consonants can we use? Yes. <laughs> but I think that I think that you and I are definitely in that kind of group that are like, like Broadway is awesome and it has its place. And you go to see definitely the spectacle of theater when you go to see Broadway. Right. Of course. Yeah. You're but, going to see like how what what is it like to do theater when you have the money, the talent, like a, an, a limitless talent. Board. Yeah. 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 And the, the best of the best of the best yeah. of the best. Like you're you, just you like, let's see what you want. Let's right? see what they could do. These amazing creative minds. And I think you and I approach it more from. Let's, let's let's see what we got. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think that we try to buck that trend and it's like I don't want to see what's popular today. Like and, yeah, and don't no, get me wrong like that. things like Hamilton that rise above that that come from nothing to these rags to riches stories. Like we we love that underdog. But you know what's interesting is that Hamilton is this theatrical thing that honestly has never really happened. I mean, of course, Lin-Manuel had written um sorry, Lin-Manuel Miranda um, Mr. Lenny. French Miranda. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll just call him Tony. Spanish. Spanish. Spanish Tony. Puerto Rican Tony. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he 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 wrote um, in the Heights, which mm-hmm. was a rap musical. Which, in, by the way, and is amazing. For any person who is writing would be the height of their career. Oh They'd my be god! Like, I'm I mean, going to stop here. And he this did this good. amazing thing and. He was in that show and everything made sense. And yes. To be honest, like, I, Lynn, Lynn, baby, I don't want to hear you sing. I just like it drives me crazy. I appreciate that you go just, just confident into the mist. Son, my son, look at my son. It's just like, oh my gosh, uh, the throat tension. Yeah, sanity. Um. But it's hard to sing against Leslie Odom, though. I, I know. Mean, like, what are you going to do? Or just any of those people. But fair. That's fair. Besides the point, he just like he wrote this amazing musical and it, it was the first of its kind. Mm-hmm. And then he does Hamilton, which is like, OK, now we're going to take this Actually, story. Fun fact. In, in between that and Hamilton, he did. He tried to do his own version of West Side Story where he implemented like Spanish, it, it, like as well, dialogue yeah, I know, and I know singing. He and did things. work that, but it went to Broadway. Yeah, did not do it well. It didn't do well, but I heard that and, it was amazing. And but he, I think that's also because it was West Side Story and mm, people were like, "So he, do he we want to watch this again? He actually speaks about that in that people did not receive it well. That's so interesting. I like. Well, I mean, I guess that I'm a little biased because I have all my friends yes. that are theater people. Exactly. They're like, it was amazing. But you're, you're like, as theater people, you go and see that and you see the immersion of it. Yeah, but, if I was just the general public and I wasn't like immersed in this business or you know did this did these thoughts all the time about what to do and experience, and I just spent three hundred dollars for a ticket, yes, and I'd be like, well, maybe not. So you have um, in the heights, you yeah, have in, in the, the heights. heights, and it's like it done so well, right? It did it like was the height of what any other person who was writing for theater that is like the height of their career right mm-hmm. you then you get the choice to do anything you want you do this west side story and it bombs but it makes sense what he did exactly no it no no i don't disagree sense. yes but then you could say that he could just really walk away and be fine forever yeah and then but then we wouldn't have moana yeah exactly but but then my question <laughs> I guess I guess as I'm thinking like on the fly, 
why does something like Coco work, but the the Spanish version of uh, West Side Story, why does yeah. that not for immersion? You know what I think is interesting is I think uh, just off the top of my head, I, I think that it, that it doesn't work because the people that are going don't speak Spanish. And so then they feel singled out. How, mm-hmm. And so they don't really see it from the person's perspective of, well, if I grew up in America and I have Spanish heritage and maybe I'm a first-generation American and I go see this culturally and historically, this is a huge deal. And now I feel seen and represented. Yeah. And, uh, and I understand it and it makes more sense. Uh, but for the general public who are going to be able to afford that ticket, it's not going to be that person, I would say. That's fair. And so then what you're doing is you're singling out your your subscriber base, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. I guess I guess it's like if you went and saw In the Heights and then you were like, I'm going to follow anything Miranda does, right? Yeah. Then you go and see this West Side Story and then you do, like you said, you know, you feel singled out. Then you're like, I don't know. Now, I think that if you feel singled out because of it, I don't think that's right. No, no, <laughs> I no, think no, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. I'm not saying <laughs> yes. that I'm on this side. I'm just trying to think, you know, if I was a rich white person going to see West Side yeah. Story <laughs> where half of it was in Spanish. So maybe maybe I'm not being as yeah. nice as I should be. But I just feel like that then you wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, yeah, this was a great idea. I think but you'd also, be like, I'm so annoyed the, that there I had to read a subtitle or that there were no subtitles. It's yeah, the yeah, same yeah. reason why people don't like to watch foreign movies when they don't know the language. Uh, uh, you know, I guess that that's kind of why Coco works is that you have the subtitles. Yeah. And maybe because full and disclosure it's not all in Spanish. Yeah. No, no, that's true. Yes. Yes, 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 you're right. But you know, kind of like a I do watch I wouldn't say that I watch a lot of what people call anime, but I do watch some I, I get it when you don't want to read something that you're watching all the time. Well, I watch a lot of French TV. I don't know if you've noticed by my pronunciations. Of things. Mm-hmm. And you still haven't seen that French film that I asked you to watch a few weeks ago. Wait, what was your French film? I now have totally forgotten. The Moliere. Uh, oh, movie. right, 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 right. I actually like remember looking it up and I think it is called Moliere. Yeah. And it's about how he wrote Tartuffe. I, I do know what you're talking about. I do know what you're talking about. I do need to watch that. If you want to get together and hang out and watch it, I'd be cool with that, too. Yeah, I don't know. Since we, we only, like, really hang out for this one hour a week now. <laughs> I'm so... We're so busy. I know. We are That's not so true. I, st- I was at your work for, like, a long time the other That's day. That's because you're, you you had to turn in your truck. <laughs> I don't know why you had to like, make it a thing. Just take it. Take it. We hung out for the 20 minutes <laughs> the other day outside uh, of this. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. I will say what's really cool about the living theater is that they contributed to the off-Broadway scene, which I think is pretty cool. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, because, you know, it gives you things like, uh, you know, Avenue Q, like, started off off-Broadway, which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. And just, just the thought that, like, really... New York's a big city, and I think people forget that theater happens there, mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be this big budgeted thing, but they can't afford to get to Broadway. Yeah. And so I would say if anybody is going to New York ever in the future when theaters reopen, don't just 
only go see Broadway. I mean, there's still other theaters happening. And there's other cities to go see theater in as well. I mean, like Los Angeles um, and a lot of the places outside of California, Oregon, Wisconsin, Michigan, Chicago, like it's huge theater cities there. I mean, it's just amazing places to go see really great theater. Minnesota, I mean, just like awesome, awesome theaters. But when you're not really in it all the time, you just think Broadway, end all, be all. Yes. Kind of like Hollywood, be all, end all. Yeah. Before you start being like, oh, wait, there are also indie movies. It's kind of yes. like there are indie movies everywhere. Well, what's crazy to me, and like since I'm more like knowledgeable about the film industry, is that most films do not get made in Los Angeles. Well, not anymore. It's too expensive. Yes, exactly. And and like a lot of states give tax breaks, and Louisiana used to, and we used to have like a emerging film scene. We did used but, to, and it was really awesome. And then somebody said we shouldn't do that anymore. Well, so they were giving thank them you tax very breaks. Much, Bobby Jindal. Yep. For really throwing us under the bus who, on that one. Yeah, he really did away with the the, the tax breaks, like, and you that's know what? what we've got a good thing going here. How about? Let's set that thing on fire. Yeah. So what's cr- what's what's like interesting about that is that the film scene moved from here to Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. But all that to say, though, like I think when I go visit a city or when I go visit somewhere that's not here, right? Mm-hmm. I I try to look at what's local in that. Like for instance, when I went to go uh, to Seattle, I did not look at the Space Needle or the the EGM or EMG. Uh, a museum or whatever that it was. Yeah. I went to the local areas and I went and asked like uh, the, the maitre d's at places like, wait, what's your favorite thing to do? Like, where can I go in the city that not everybody is going to be at? Like, what's the not touristy thing to do? What's the local music scene? What's the local theater scene and things like that? Like what's it, what would it be like if I were actually here? Exactly. As opposed to where you're trying to send me for the money or like who has the money? Yeah. I, I understand that. I mean, it is it is difficult to think that way. It's also harder. It's a little bit harder to find those little niche places. But it is more interesting to me personally. Yeah, and no, I, of I'm course. Not I, for everybody. I, well, we're definitely all on the same page on that one. I think as far as who is under this roof right now, we're recording this podcast. Maybe not yeah. who's listening, but um, yeah, I you know what I think is interesting is looking at these people who have such a passionate. Like just going back to the uh, to to Judith, um, <laughs> just looking at the fact that I don't understand what they did. I mean, yeah. I I look at it and I think there is nothing about what they are doing. I that I want to do. Yeah, I, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to direct it. I don't want to see it necessarily. I mean, I might watch it and then be like, "Oh my gosh, I got a story now." <laughs> like that definitely. I think I used to do a whole lot of things for the story. Yeah, for sure. But I um, would believe that hundred yeah. percent. Yes. I mean, <laughs> but I but I think I've now I'm I'm tired. I'm like I I've, I've got the story. I think yes. I want to go to bed. <laughs> Um, this I know is happening this is after end. about six o'clock. I'm not going. It's just like tomorrow's pain is not worth tonight's story. Yes, I think I think um, today Cody takes care of tomorrow. Cody very well. He does days. now. He does yeah. now. He didn't used to at all. <laughs> which maybe he was a little bit more interesting to hang out with them. But um, and it, it's just. But I I can look at this and think, you know, what they did led us to kind of who we are now in a sense. Yeah, like using them being so passionate about this one thing. I mean, my gosh, like to 
feel. I mean, they did they did other productions too. They did things like Antigone and Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. But when you look at those pieces, you think, oh, of course, these are like revolution pieces on their in their in their own right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at Antigone, which is just like awesome and man I, I, there, I when I think about that show I think about um and, and I actually I, I I thought about this earlier because the living theater when I saw that they had done Antigone and that was one of their big shows um and their particular approach I just kind of started thinking about like all the theater creators that I have come in contact in my life and that have just been like you know what what if we sit down and we make something yeah and not necessarily like let's go audition let's Let's go try to get on someone else's bandwagon. Let's try to make it. Yeah. Um, and it kind of reminds me of this theater in Chicago. And my gosh, I wish I could remember their name. Um, they actually, th- I th- I'm pretty sure they went out of business in the the early 90s, like 91 or 92. Um, but I had some friends that were actually like a part of it. And they would talk about it when I was there. But they had this whole story that they would actually take over warehouses and they took over warehouses because they would do crazy things. Like, they had a live car crash. I'm not kidding. Okay. I'm not kidding. Okay. They had someone drive through, like, an, they got an old, like, dumpy vehicle that they were like, we're going to blow this car up. And they drove it through a wall, and it and blew it up on stage in front of an audience. I mean, like, what? I have never been that gutsy with anything I've ever done. No. Never. I would never be like, you know what would be a great idea? Like, I mean, in my mind, I might think this would be so cool. But, of course, I'm not going to. Like, that just seems insane to me. As but an I actor. Think you also, like, you can't do that now. That no, was That was a yeah. privilege of the the 80s yes a privilege of the 80s which back is, when back when like you, you know when, when you were, were emerging no as cell an actor phone, yeah you were like, like cell i will try cameras. anything yeah there are no cell phone cameras and they're like look we might make the local news <laughs> if we're lucky we'll make the like we'll be on like news. c3 of the newspaper <laughs> yeah but i mean it's just insanity the thing and then they were talking about like yeah we did that and then we got a lot of flack for it and so we had to like end that agreement we lost the rental so we had to go somewhere (laughs) else and try to find other warehouses and then word caught on that we were insane we we were the underground edgy theater basically that was kind of the thing i think in chicago was like how do you be the craziest which is kind of like what i think is going on with the that's that's my only way to relate to it is what's going on with the living theater they're like we have all these raw emotions yeah and we want to express that and this is the only thing we know how and then they found basically like their version of a prophet to yeah. follow in french tony and he gave them license <laughs> to be like you know what this is what you should be doing yeah you should be you know challenging authority in every sense in social constructs in government not paying taxes you should show up to that trial dressed up as portia and deliver monologues from the merchant of venice it's insanity I just think, like, I wish in a way, I'm, I'm, I'm almost envious. And yeah. I know that's ridiculous, but I'm almost envious of that type of passion and just being like, you know what? I don't care about the outcome. This is my path. Yeah. And I'm totally okay with whoever arrests me <laughs> You know, <laughs> like, along the way. It, it, it is interesting because we are coming off of uh, a massive United States national election for president and, and many other election? things, too. 
What was there? What? Well, I remember um, that. But I will say that I think that I think that they're you know outside of attacking each other's character. I think that there is this this understanding that we we want to. It's time to buck the trend. Basically, yeah, I think that's kind and, of coming and, in every form right yeah, now. Yeah, and and it's like why should we continue to you know make the rich richer right and i, and I think that the, there are a lot of questions you know now becoming mainstream and and i have to as much as i may <laughs> spend a lot of time on there and and hate to admit this but i think that a lot of it is because of tiktok yeah you no, i mean a, well some of it is definitely because of tiktok and and i think and that just all other forms of social media for yes, sure and and then especially because we had talked about like the bumper sticker ethics like a few weeks ago it's like no no just because things are doesn't mean that they have to be. But you know what I would say, and this is like episode dose de leche of the TikTokate. You know what I'm saying? Or we talked about TikTok last time. That's a little bit of French for you. Um, it's Italian. Uh, Spanish would be no French would actually be cators. Who knows? Who knows? You know, no one knows these answers. Um, we'll we'll figure it out. Some we'll make up our own answers. <laughs> Um, that, that's where, how it all started anyway. I mean, come on. Like we're, we're, we're entering into adolescence at this point. I, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but I, I think that in a way TikTok was kind of like, Hey, for people around our age, a bunch of people getting together being like, this is messed up. Yes. You think this is messed up? I think this is messed up. And then everybody started seeing every person around the country being like, yeah, this is kind of. Awful. Yeah, it, it it's it's almost and so. In a strange, it was a nice little communal experiment. Yeah, we were we were all like, okay, come on, guys, we 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 all see, and that it also the system might just broken, be right? my own particular algorithm just feeding me what I want to see. <laughs> there is a little bit of that because yeah. some of the things that you send me are now like it's, making their way into my algorithm, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me! I don't, I don't, even, I don't even know if I like this. Oh, come on! But those those that those. I will say, like my my loves of TikTok are those two guys, those two guys that are in like the best relationship in the entire world. Oh, you're talking about um, uh, I can't remember their names right now. I feel so sad. They're so awesome. They're basically like every relationship goal I've ever had. Yes, and I'm in the best relationship I've ever been in in my entire life. It's the it's the guy that like um aggressively asks his boyfriend. He's like, um, so. Do you do you want to make reservations at this uh, restaurant? He's like, hey, uh, well, I'm about to uh, call and make reservations at the at this restaurant. And he's like, oh, 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 awesome! And he's like, yeah. And so he calls and he says, yeah, I'll have a table for one. Yes. He's like, oh, so we're just eating for one? I guess this laundry is for one too. Here's your laundry. Yes, 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 yes. I I love watching all of their videos. And in fact, what's what's interesting is because I took a deep dive on on their TikTok. Is the guy that is, I guess, a little more it's popular. Chris Olson. Chris Olson. Yes, that's the guy who who actually had like this alcoholic addiction. Yeah, he had an an addiction. It wasn't just alcohol. It was alcohol, cocaine, and pills. I mean, yeah. he was like running the gambit. Well, I mean, you know, I I wasn't gonna like. He talks about it on yeah, his yeah, thing. Fair. What are you talking about? But but for him to come clean, to go through rehab, yeah, and then to enter into this because uh, his his um boy or i guess yes technically boyfriend he's not engaged i don't believe no they're not engaged um but you know he's actually famous for being on all of these broadway productions yeah he's in broadway he's a he's a very 
like a, a, a dancer. He's yeah, a dancer. he's a dancer. So so to have him like highlight these things about, you know, his life and how he met this person who mm-hmm. didn't have this career, you know, prior to, you know, coronavirus. I mean, it's an awesome story of I was in a terrible place. I looked at my life and my choices. I made a change. And now I've I like started ex- like putting it out there into the universe and now accepting the love that I think yes. I deserve. And now they have this awesome relationship. It's just so cool and so funny. And that's like one of the things I love about. But what is great is that it's it's completely antithetical to what is cancel culture. Mm-hmm. What what I think our generation would probably call cancel culture. And that like is that ours or the next one? I don't know. I never can keep track about what generation. Well, I think I think the the culture past uh, like younger than us. Yeah, I think would it's call a, it cancel culture. I think it's and, a Gen and, Z. and I think that we have to. And and I think the generation above us is a little bit cancel culturally. So we are technically evolved. Even I'm, I'm 30. <laughs> even though I'm 30, like 33, I'm still a millennial. Though. Yeah. And then there's Gen X, X. And, and then, then there's Gen, Gen Z. Y. Oh yeah. Z. Yes. This is the weirdest stuff ever. Yeah. And then above, so above us is who? Gen X. Okay. So Gen X, millennial, Gen Z. Yes. And above that is Boomer. Yes, ah. I think anything above Gen X is boomer. You just call, yeah, <laughs> because everyone else is dead. Is that what you're saying? I, Have we gotten to that point where we're only the third generation maybe, before death? Maybe, <laughs> but but ultimately, it's like we are now seeing like the generation above us adopt it. They they they've really almost always adopted this culture of you know you could build a thousand bridges in your lifetime. And then, you know, get get caught for, I don't know, like speeding real fast or whatever. And you'd be like, well, that guy drives fast his whole life. Like you'd be known oh, as the yeah. fast driver. Right. And and that's the very PG way of like telling that. And and I think the generation below us is like, well, look at James Gunn's tweets from 2008. You know, those are, you know, or these like, racist. Kevin Hart. That's what I like think yes. about is like Kevin Hart doing. I just watched. And this is really sad. And I it's just because, yet again, today Cody is really trying to take care of tomorrow, Cody. Mm-hmm. And I have 10 minutes left of his special that he just did in his living room, yes. which is just really funny to me. But he kind of talks about this, and he even, like, outwardly apologizes. Like, I think we have to evolve to a point of saying, when people apologize, and you know that they are, obviously, that they mean it, and they're evolving and they are trying just like with the times yes that we have to accept it or else we're we're worse than than they are exactly so like if if they can't change if we're not we don't accept their change then what's the point of all of this like i mean so we're not willing to teach anyone and that's what i think of as a like somebody who enjoys teaching or even directing i'm like you can't like if, if we're not allowing people to learn and then move forward, then what are we doing here? Exactly. And so here is an example of I think somebody was being like, yeah, look, I, I messed up. Like this was not right of me to say. I was raised this way. I feel differently now. Sorry. And now it's like, no, no. Yeah. No, that 100%. doesn't work. Yeah. Unforgivable. Like what? Okay. What in the world? And and it's like so. What do we do? Just send him to prison? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's like that 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 that's completely unfair, because and he's I, funny. I, I, yeah. I'll <laughs> say someone like Kevin Hart actually puts in the work 
yes. to get to where he is. And he's that was another thing. I'm like, this man started from nothing. I mean, literally nothing. Zero. Yes. Just like, you know, just like Dave Chappelle. Exactly. I mean, just so many, so many of these people. I, I just feel like that the whole like canceling thing where I do think sometimes like, yeah, some people should just go away. Yes. But I do think that you have got to approach people with some sort of grace and forgiveness. Well, if we're not acknowledging any growth, like I will say that Chris in 2020 is a lot different than Chris in 2012. Well, both of us, where where both of us started from in in growing up in our exactly. environments, it's yes. just it it does it doesn't make sense why either of us would be. You know, in the particular viewpoints that we have today, yes, hundred it's, percent. It's it's most of the point, most of the time, and it's opposite of where we were raised. I mean, it's it's definitely a you know we you have to look at the world around you and then evolve. And I feel like you and I both kind of evolved on our own. I don't want to speak for you. No, no, no. It's a hundred percent in that you know you and I both grew up in this environment where, and this is what's so crazy to me is that parents do so much programming. Yeah. Without like really realizing it and the, like the things that they say and the like kids adopt that in, mm-hmm. in many ways. And, and you see it all the time at, at school. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that they're I like, I got to tell you, if you are a parent and you have a kid, there is no secrets about your house. I think I've said this before, yeah. but I'm I if if I teach them, I know them. I know all your secrets. But, you know, and 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 so does everyone else. <laughs> right. And I'm not married and I don't have kids. And, you know, I'm not really close to to doing that. But, man, Truthfully, I would almost be like I would almost want to raise my kid to be neutral in that I want you to come to your own conclusions. I want you to like be to to understand the world in in this very neutral way and then to arrive at your own decisions about things. Like I want you to 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 see the world in this very like gray way and that you decide what's black and what's white, right? Of course. Like you 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 decide what's morally right and wrong for you personally. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to impose any of what I believe on you. And the, and, and and despite what I might believe or despite what I might see the well, world as. I think as. that you kind of have to like start from a a good moral center of course. Yes. I mean and and then, you know, hope that eventually and and i think that i i will say i applaud my parents so much for this because i think and and believe very differently than they do on most things i think yes. that morally at, at the center we're all on the same page i think that arriving at the conclusion is different for us what's interesting is that your parents are almost in complete opposition yes. to my parents <laughs> in that in that, I thought you were going to say to each other, and that's why I agree. I'm like, no, 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 yes, no. they are. Oh Look, no, yeah, you're right. Well, like, well, like you and I have have come from very uh, different backgrounds, and yet well, and arrived at my, different opposite conclusions from our parents, and that's yeah. what's interesting to me. Well, your parents were also a lot older. Like my my parents were very young. Yes, 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 yes. Whenever yes, they they yes. had us, so it's a little different, for sure. Um, oh, but all man. but all that to say, like. I think that ultimately, you know, back to sort of the living theater and all that, all that stuff, like understanding that that life can be chaos. There's definitely a lot of chaos, chaos in that video. I mean, you watch it and you feel the anxiety of it. Mm-hmm. And then you, of course, I mean, I've, I'm not saying I think that they get their point across. Yeah, I 
just think like in the terms of theater, it challenges everything. And I don't think that I, I, so I watch that and my immediate response is write it off because Mm -hmm. I don't understand it. And I think that's probably generally everyone's response, whether they want to admit it or not. I don't understand this. No, no, I'll admit it. Moving on. You made me watch that. And I was like, the whole time I was thinking like, what is the point of like, this? And I'm then when trying. I actually sat down yeah. and I really, you know, like the five minutes before between watching that and then doing this podcast. But you're thinking. Yes, I was thinking about it. And then, you know, that's sort of the the the, the point that I like to arrive at. Like, I don't want to feel indifferent. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, sometimes it's like, I don't understand what's yeah. going on. But then I have to, like, let it ruminate. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I understand where they're coming from, I think. I don't know if I necessarily would have chosen that path. Exactly. And, but either way, it is doing all the things that I feel in my heart we need to be doing in theater, yes. which is making people leave the room and being like, okay, I'm going to need to like think about this. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting is that they believed in what they were doing so much. Like Judith talks about this. Um, she says that they actually felt like not that people wouldn't change in time, that they would immediately see the show and then leave the theater and think I'm changed right now. Mm -hmm. Things are different. What I don't necessarily understand about what they wanted to change in people is like what, what, what did you want them? Like, did you want them to go out there <laughs> yeah. and be like, society doesn't, you know, like these these seat belts that I put on or these like you know these barriers that I put up, they don't matter. Like I, I'll walk outside naked. Like, what are you wanting them to do? Are you, are they trying to highlight the bigger moments by by saying like, look, these things are the most ridiculous that we can be. So what are the smaller things that you do to yourself? Yeah. Like when you are walking down the street on a busy street and you realize that you left something in your house, but you can't immediately turn around and go back to your house because the people behind you, who you don't know, would think that was weird. Mm -hmm. So then you look at your phone, you look back and forth, and you put on this weird little production of being like, okay, now I'm going to look down. I'm going to, okay. You know what? And you have this whole show i've seen people do this i've done this so many times where i've been like oh oh yeah i need to go this way now yeah even though that's not what i like i should have just turned around it doesn't make any sense but i just imagine you in the in the grocery store just looking like i've done this so many times oh oh wait wait wait, wait, wait. let me go this way you know it's a really like completely off topic thing but the other day like lexi wasn't with me and this is a this was my like first world coronavirus problems (laughs) I was trying to get the little baggie to put the chicken in so that salmonella doesn't get on everything or whatever. And you know how, like, you get that you rip the thing, but normally to get it, you kind of have to lick your finger to, like, get the traction to separate the two pieces of plastic. Oh, yeah. And you, like, have to get that, like, traction. And my fingers, I'd, like, tried to, like, get the things to break apart. And it was just a solid piece of plastic. I was like, I'm trying to get the thing. And I like flipped it over like five times. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to leave this spot until I open this bag. And I was so furious. And there were like three employees watching me. I was like, don't worry about them, Cody. 
you're doing your thing. Just open the bag. And now the whole time, it was, like, it was like 10 minutes of me just being like, I mean, I just, I felt so helpless and alone. At and, a certain point, it becomes a pride thing. And, and I was like, like what a lighter open light. And you're just like, well, and I knew I was like, if I just stick with this long enough, it's going to open. Yes. It's absolutely ridiculous that I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm, the only reason why I'm using this bag is because this is what Lexi does. And why am I doing this? Because this is what Lexi <laughs> does. Like, I could put the thing in the buggy. It's going to go in another plastic bag when it goes in my truck. Yes. I mean, this is insane. Well, because you and I both know that Lexi knows more than we do. I combined. know. So I'm just trusting the fact that she's smart and that this is what I need to do so I don't die. She does it this way. <laughs> I've not died. Yeah, this is what I need to be doing. Yes, it's ridiculous. But I mean, it's just it's what it's those things. I mean, the whole time I was like self-conscious about the fact I'm standing in a public place, obviously about to buy this thing. And I'm self-conscious about it. And I'm like, yes. this is even though I'm like, nobody. But cares. you're putting on a show, though, at this at, at a certain point, you're just like, you feel the eyes on you. And you're I thought like, nope. if this is a comedy special, people have stopped laughing three times. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what I thought. It's ridiculous. But. I, I do think that... Cody is a family guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe they're showing the extremes of it so that when you come back to yourself, you're like, well, maybe I could change these little little things yeah. and, and not care as much about, like, you know, if Becky down the street doesn't like my Tupperware. I don't really know. I just went straight to the 50s. They started in 1947. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, I am interested to see what who their founder is now. I'm now kind of like want to look them up yeah. and see what Garrick, like their new founder is, is doing with the theater. Like what his like yeah. latest things were like, what are you looking at doing? Because you know, like we, like we would just discussed how like you and I have evolved personally, but how have they evolved well, and right. what have they have done? Like, do they, do they stick with tradition? Do they like, well, and because move Judith forward? and Julian had a very interesting relationship. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not totally sure if Garrick is his son or I, I don't, I don't really know. Oh. The whole thing. And maybe he is. I, I'd have to. I didn't really look into that. Yeah, so we, we really shouldn't speculate on that. I, I'm not speculating, yeah. but I mean, I know that Garrick is Judith's son. Son, yes. And, um, and what I was reading that seemed to be pointed out, so that made sense okay. that maybe that's her son. But I. I don't know if they were always together, but I know that they always ran the theater together until Julian died. Yeah. And then it became her thing, and now it's his thing. And so I'm just interested to see generationally how it progressed, mm. if he like held on to their beliefs or if he evolved. Because I think it's also just this bravery of you're producing theater that not a lot of people want to see, if mm. we're honest. And everything that I've ever done or been taught is to produce theater that someone will buy a ticket to in some sense. Like, we kind of talked about building a season. Yeah. Like, I at least have to have a show that's going to pay for everything so that I can do the things I want to do. Yeah. But even then, I have to be careful that I don't alienate my audience. But there, they're like, alienate everyone. Yeah. And see, let's see what happens. And I, I don't know. Maybe that's why I think it's just awesome that they're like oh we don't care i mean so, obviously they don't care they'll go to prison <laughs> what's, what's what's interesting to me is that you know when when watching it initially i thought this is more of a cody thing in that i could see him really loving the idea of like really trying to challenge people 
with not a normal way or convention of even telling a story or presenting yeah. theater. It, it fits with my little. But but in 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 really thinking about it, though, I, I think about this. There's this one like actor that I know of. His name is Troy Baker in that you have to really love the art form of acting. Yeah. To really want to do that. Mm-hmm. And that it's not just about selling a ticket. Yeah. At some point, you have to separate all of the external. Like, I don't want people to look at, and, and this is really sort of like a his thing. Um, and then I don't want people to look at this performance that I'm giving and thinking like, oh, I am so good. Mm-hmm. In that I want to separate myself so much that I am so lost in this thing, in this moment, in this yeah. whatever this is, whether that's doing this crazy living theater thing, or if that's like telling this amazing, incredible moment on stage. Well, it's just like throwing all of your walls down to being as vulnerable as possible. Yes. Which is one reason why we were watching that, and we both were like, we would never do that. Yeah. We would never do I would never be free enough to do that. And and it's and and you know not just free enough but also at the no, same no. time I'm free also enough. thinking like I would never be free enough. No, no. confident agree. free. No, no. <laughs> no, no. We agree. It's like I even said like I just want you to know That's... I would never be that confident. <laughs> just could never do it. And but also at the same time it's definitely like, a different time when they were doing this. You know yes. 1968 was a different time. What um but but even still like so Troy Baker talks about this moment, right, where he was doing he was shooting this scene in in this thing that he was doing and he wasn't he was thinking like I'm going to do this in one take or one scene and people are going to think like how awesome I am. Mm-hmm. And the director came up to him and said, "You know, you're not even actually looking at the actress in the scene with you." Yeah, it was all about him. Yeah. And and you like we so often it's that third think about, eye thing. Yes. Where you're watching yourself the whole time and being like, I'm doing a great job. Yeah, we're thinking about that that external the entire time. Right. So many times, and and I've I've spent so much of this break, this coronavirus break or this COVID break, or whatever. I feel like we need a new term for it. Like it it's got to be the the the, the it, year the world took off. <laughs> no, just <laughs> just like I, I like that that phrase of like I've taken this. This break. I mean, I'm trying to think of a positive spin yes. on the on on you know this pandemic of, of being like this 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 like inward journey. Yes. I don't know if it's something like this 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 journey that we're on. I think it's more of like a journey. Like yes. where we can look introspectively. And and at our and ourselves. I've spent so much of this break, not so much looking at different acting techniques, but perspectives on acting. Yeah. And 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 in hearing sort of like the 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 Troy Baker breakdown of it, thinking about it like breathing, mm-hmm. you take a breath, but if you hold that breath, it becomes poisonous, right? And that you have to exhale to take in the next breath. Yeah, you have to let go, and then you have to receive, and you have to take. Yes, yeah. and and it, and in thinking about it in that way, to me, it's just like. Look at the actress in the scene. Mm-hmm. Who cares well, if it's about? It's not about connection. Yes, and I think that's a really big thing. If it, if you're not connecting, then there's no point. Exactly. And that that is 
you know, whenever I'm working with people on stage, that's my biggest thing that I'm always driving home is who are you connecting with? Make sure you're in this together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, which is interesting because you, the other thing that I had you watch was the Samuel Beckett piece yes. with Alan Rickman and then, oh my goodness, what's her name? Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. Scott Thomas. Yes. And um, just how... Uh, in this, in this Samuel Beckett, uh, the the play two thousand and one, um, there I think that's actually called the play, Talking Heads, right? yeah. If I remember reading the play. credits correctly, so yeah. they were it was uh, but it was in two thousand and one, and they um, they were talking heads in pots essentially, yeah. And the whole time they're talking super fast, and and they just it's all about their life, the three of them together mm-hmm. and their experience, and I just think it's. It's I, I've watched this so many times, and it's free. It's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's like fifteen minutes long. I made you watch the entire thing before we did today. We did, and I didn't hate it mostly because I was like, "You, you just need to see this and one." And and I was kind of interested in your reaction to it because yeah. I've seen it a couple times now, and I think every time I watch it, I have a different feeling about mm-hmm. it. But every time, I'm always just filled with so much intrigue and like what does this mean? And like, I always think of different things every yeah. single time. It makes me think of something different, which makes me think that it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. what did you think? That because piece, that was all about giving and re- receiving information in a sense. Yes. That's another, that's another one of those, like, because if you know who Samuel Beckett is in the theater world, you understand that there is a very harshness to like the way that he writes his dialogue. And yeah. And yeah. And it's like, it's almost like the Aaron Sorkin of his day where it's like, it's quick, it's informative and you have to like be really in tune to what is happening in the scene to, to to stay on task and to stay on, you know, story beats. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was interesting to see, if all of that stripped away, can you follow? Mm-hmm. If it's just about the dialogue, because can you they follow? weren't moving, no, and they were speaking super fast, like all the moments. I, I even said to you one time when Alan Rickman was speaking this monologue, it was like that breath control is it's incredible. Amazing. Well, and it's because they never missed an acting moment, and like his character gets the hiccups in it, which mm-hmm. is just like hysterical to me. Um, the most unnerving thing is the laugh. Yeah. It's so unnerving. The first time like I laughed out of nervousness because I was like, ha. I mean, there are there are definitely moments where it's like this was intense. Mm-hmm. And then they like break the rhythm. And it's almost like Shakespeare in a way. He breaks the rhythm and you notice it a little bit more because mm-hmm. it's happening so fast that you're like, oh, this is funny. And you yeah. listen more. And so those moments mean so much more. It's like it is the perfect thing to show actors about earning your pause because yeah. it's like you do all this, you do all this, you do all this, you do all this, and then <gasps> nothing. And people are like lean into that mm-hmm. so much harder when that happens. And that is like perfect for that. But that was one of those things where it, it, it has a bunch of these cuts, right? And And that... Yeah, highlights like the dialogue in a, in a way. Sense, yeah. yeah, and 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 like you said, unnerving. It's, and they it's unnerving in the sure same way that the dialogue is unnerving too. Which, even though it is filmed, it's still uh, like Brechtian in the way where yeah. they let you hear the shutter sounds mm-hmm. and the actual sounds of the film. Like it's basically like its version of telling you you're watching 
a movie. You're watching yeah. a movie. You're watching well, a they, movie. They have those breaks where, like, in the old, old, like, 40s films and stuff where the film would, like, break and grain. And it was like, oh, look look at all the the crap yeah, that's the, happening the on the, yeah. The breaks in the film. <sighs> oh, uh, it's just, uh, to, to me, I, I watch that and I think, th- like, the talking heads in these pots, it's basically, like, we so many people we're all just like creating all of these problems in our mm-hmm. own life and not talking about it because it's like everything that's going on in their own minds. Yeah. But we're all headed to the same place and it's all pointless. Exactly. Like, why are we doing this? And I, that's pretty much how, always the, how very nihilistic of you. Yes, it is very, <laughs> it is very much like nihilism, but it it is just, um, I, I I don't know. It's just something about uh, maybe that's something really weird about me, but I just eat it up. I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. I just but, love it. But what what is interesting about that, in the way that you even phrased it and framed it, is that every moment to us is important to us, right? And, and only us. Only us. I mean, it's like in this particular moment, there's three people, a couple, and someone they're having an affair with. Yes, and and, and, and it's almost like. I think about this, and in watching that video, I think about like you and Lexi as a couple, in that when you watched that, you thought about no, me no, no, and Lexi. no, 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 but, <laughs> but because that would, but was like we need to you talk. guys have these moments together, but then there's also like these individual thoughts about each moment where you're even together, right? Yeah, like you of each course. have your own thoughts, even when it's this event that's happening between the two of you right of course and and because of our past experiences we are going to interpret those things in a very different exactly. way exactly especially like and that's one thing looking at the holidays you're always it's all nostalgia because yeah. for some reason like our minds are just curated to be like this is the way things have to be done yes for thanksgiving for christmas Halloween, whatever. Well, for, like Hanukkah. if I, if I were just, in a relationship, like right now, I don't have a Christmas tree up in my house. Don't care about putting one up. Not gonna put one up. But if I were in a relationship and that were important to the other person, I would put a Christmas tree up, even yeah. though I really don't care about Christmas trees being put up in my house because mm-hmm. I think I gotta put that up. I gotta take it down. It's like only up that. for a month. But but all that to say, like. Yeah, we're, we, we've curated these moments of nostalgia within our mind, and that's like how we for interpret. For me, if I had a house and I had just remodeled it, one of the first things that I would think of after remodeling it, I would look at it and be think and think, <laughs> this is going to look so awesome at Christmas. Isn't that weird? Like when people yeah. go to buy houses, these are the things that pop into their mind. Yeah, at you've Christmas got this whole time. room like uh, wound up with Christmas lights. Too, well, by of the course. Way. I mean, this is like. This is this is Christmas 2020, but and this people is, are going all out. By but the way, but this is this is also the difference between you and I, in that I just remodeled mine. Yeah, could not care less about doing any of that. <laughs> but when people go and they buy a house, I mean, that's literally one of the questions they ask realtors, or they talk about when they're there. They're like, "Oh, can you imagine? This is where your Christmas tree goes." Yeah, you know, that's a that's a selling point. Being like, "Look, this is like a display piece right here, and you have this mantle. Isn't this going to look awesome at Christmas?" Like they use the holidays. Is that how Lexi sold you on? No, marrying her. Like, oh, I thought you were be like this house. Like, what are you talking about? It's like I literally walked in. <laughs> to be fair, you walked in and then put your Xbox in, and I was like, "Well, Cody's here." It was like that is done. No, that's not how she sold me on this relationship. She agreed to go out with me. That's how she sold me on this relationship. She was like, "Yeah, yeah, this, this, I'm okay. all right with this." All right, and it'd be like, "Oh, thank God." No, no, it wasn't the first date. It was she agreed to go out with you on a third date. 
I don't actually know if there was a third date so much as like I inserted myself in her activities. <laughs> She's very busy. I was like, you know what? You need me to do this. So I think I think there's a very symbiotic relationship there <laughs> and that she's also like, you need me to well, do I, this. Well, I need her to do everything. That is uh, 100 yeah, percent. I agree. Yeah, you definitely inserted yourself into her life in the way that, you know, she's very organized and you are not as organized as her. Mm-hmm. I 100 percent did. Being very polite. No, I, I appreciated it. <laughs> I appreciated that. I, I did. I did appreciate that. But I do like that. I mean, I I want to. Um, there are two things that I need to post. I have to post about the Ratatouille musical thing, which I'm going to do this week. I promise. And mm-hmm. then I I'm going to like tomorrow, even yeah. though this is going to release and people are going to be like, we already saw that, or we don't pay attention to your social media. So what are you doing? Um, and but like, but I mean, if you don't pay attention to our social media, you miss all of my self narrated videos. Which they are they are really brilliant. <laughs> They're so good. You basically send them to like, me before you post them, and I'm like, "Yep, I'm, that'll, I'm do. Like, that'll do." I um, I how many different ways can I look surprised at something? And I feel like Charlotte to Wilbur to you. <laughs> some like pig. you're making the <laughs> some pig, some pig. I don't even know. <laughs> I'll be the pig. That's fine. You're you, obviously Wilbur. I'm the pig. You're the one doing the backflips and everything, and I'm just like... I'm the eh. show pig, and you're the person that's like, all right, I guess I'll... Repost. Get me. an audience for you, and then later <laughs> die. I'll bring an audience to you, and then I'll sacrifice myself. Of the myself. two of us. But don't worry, I'll leave tragic? you like 20 Definitely babies. Definitely me. I'll leave you 20 babies that will you know, like continue to bring you exactly. audience. Oh, my gosh. Sorry if that was a spoiler alert to anybody who hasn't read Charlotte's Web. It's like 50 years old, man. Come on. (laughs) We're good. There's some eight-year-old listening to this being like, Charlotte, Charlotte dies. Um, Hey, uh, how much longer do you want me to talk to you? This is my own personal time check. We're good. We're like, we're almost at the hour and a half mark. We're good. Oh, my God. So what, what, what should we end with? Um... I think that you should end this, and I think that you should end it with what you have learned. <laughs> I have learned. Because I feel like I threw a, a bunch of things at you, and I actually don't know if I talked about it in any kind of intelligent way, because like I said earlier. Are either one of us intelligent I enough kind to speak of about anything? used to know about this topic. <laughs> And I chose to talk about it today to try to re-educate myself. I did, I did walk in, and you were like, I have been on the computer for about two hours relearning a lot of this. Well, I was just kind of like, oh, I kind of went down a rabbit hole. I just was like, oh, well, yeah, what about this? And what about this? And some of it I definitely did not talk about. Yes. But it was, uh, it was, a, it was a lot of, it was a lot of, a lot of clicking and, and reading. So I'll end this uh, with what I've learned by saying um, that was Cody. And that is Christophanopoulos. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!